You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. What's going on, kids? Alan Seiler. This gives me the right. And Veronica Daschle. Hi. I was wondering why he was looking away. So those of you that are on the audio podcast, Alan was looking away from the camera as we were starting our introductions. And I was like, what is he doing? What is he looking at? Why? Doesn't he know we're about to do this? It's a dramatic reveal. Yeah. When everyone looks away in the Star Trek world, I think of Shatner as the enemy within on the transporter pad (laughs) with his back turned. Tonight Ooh, we're we're going to be celebrating our 140th episode. 140. That's right. We've been That's doing it for a while. Yes. And by talking about the 140th episode of every Star Trek series. But before we get into that, Alan, do we have some news this week? We have some news this week. First of all, the newest news that there is that there's possible to report is that the actor strike is over. <laughs> um, they have reached an agreement. And what this means is that uh, Star Trek productions that have been waiting to go into uh, active production can now do that. Um, What do you call it? Strange New Worlds Season 3. Pretty much every bit of pre-production was already complete. So at this point, as soon as they can get actors on set, they will start shooting, which is great news. Section 31 um, they will start going into pre-production from what I understand and um, start uh, Starfleet Academy. That's the next one that um, I think it's like just so early in, in the stages now that, you know, they haven't even like started yet, but right. it's, it's the next one in line to begin. Yeah. So good news. Well done actors. Yeah, Yay. absolutely. Um, let's see. Star Trek Prodigy has been nominated for an Emmy. And, um, you know, as as certain people have said online, yes, this is just an Emmy for outstanding sound design and editing. But it's still an Emmy recognition for yes. a phenomenal show that had been on the axe from Disney Plus and has now been picked up by um, Netflix. Paramount and Plus. huh? Paramount Plus. I was like, did it go to Disney briefly? Oh my God. I've got <laughs> Disney Plus. I have so got Doctor Who on the brain. Everything <laughs> is Disney Plus right now. Um, and the good news about that is that, well, first of all, you know, almost any time that a Star Trek show has ever or movie has ever been nominated for an Emmy or an Oscar or anything, it's always technical. There's mm-hmm. almost never anything for writing or directing or acting or anything like that. So I don't think that this is a slight. I think this is part of the course, but it, it's got recognition and that's a good thing. And just today, Netflix, I think it was just today, Netflix announced that season one will be launching on their service on Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas to all Trekkers everywhere. That's right. Yeah. And uh, this, like you said, this came up on our Facebook group. And yes, I would rather they get some Emmys for the writing, for the acting. Yeah. There's some phenomenal stuff in there, but I'm happy they're getting some accolades at all. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I hope they win and Netflix can start advertising their new Emmy winning family series. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be the best thing ever? Yes. Oh, take that paramount plus. even if it's an emmy for catering i'll take it because <laughs> you're still an emmy winner right on amen to that <laughs> um in a little bit of a side note walter koenig is going to be the newest co-host on the seventh rule podcast yeah doing a rewatch of the original star trek series mm-hmm. which that is crazy yeah, yeah. he you know the- uh, yeah go ahead I'm sorry, I was going to say um, the, the podcasting thing for Trek alum is really yeah. exploding. I listen yeah. regularly to the Delta Flyers. And then there's, um, gosh, what's the other one? The one with uh, the gentleman from Enterprise, the show Pod. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then Gates McFadden has a podcast where she's been doing interviewing. And she's been getting a lot of good people on that. So everybody's jumping onto this. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and you know who else does? Who's that? Us. why do you think all these other people jumped on the bandwagon because we launched it what we did wrong was we didn't star in star trek first we should have thought about that before (laughs) and then do a podcast darn it we forgot that one step (laughs) oh my gosh and that's that's about it for this week just something i don't remember but i think that's it fantastic we have some this week in trek this week yeah, and also finishing up on that podcast thing, we mentioned that um, the um, the Delta Flyers with Garrett Wong and Robert Duncan McNeil, Terry Terry Farrell, and Armin Shimmerman are joining that podcast. So Ooh. everybody's lining up <laughs> to do <Yeah>. podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I had uh, two things. Uh, this is what I thought was interesting. This was a birthday that I had to do because this, this was a trip. On the 4th of November, 1956, a woman was born who was a regular background actor on the entire run of Deep Space Nine. She played, the only person pretty much with a name was a Starfleet officer, Rita Tenenbaum, who, if I'm not mistaken, was Miles O'Brien's wife in the episode where they went to the planet where they mm-hmm. get in this weird timey-wimey thing and yeah. you know, they, they ended up with their own descendants and then mm. if the ship stayed there, they were going to basically come to the parents of an entire gen- New civilization. Yeah. Um, she's done a lot of other guest roles, mostly uncredited. But the reason I want to bring this up is the woman um, on her first day of appearing on the uh, the uh, back lot to film for Deep Space Nine, the security guard said he couldn't let her on the lot, and she said, "Why?" He goes, "Because we can't let Borg onto Deep Space Nine." <laughs> and the reason is this lady's real life name born in 1956 is Ivy Borg. Wow. Her last name is B-O-R-G. <laughs> and <laughs> somehow, not only was she born with the name Borg, but then she ended up being an actress. And then she ended up getting background <laughs> roles in Star Trek, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> I just love the idea that Iris Stephen Bear instructed the guards at the gate not to let any board yes. into Space Nine. Yeah, and I read an interview with her. She said she thought he was serious. Then, of course, the guard just he just let out a laugh. Because, <laughs> and I'm I'm sure he was just waiting. You know, like you said, yeah. Charles. I wonder how many days they were like, "Oh, I can't wait. To, here she comes. Here she comes. Do the joke. Do the joke." Right. <laughs> I'd be bored. And the other thing I thought um, was interesting because Charles had posted, I think it was Charles had posted about this recently. I found this very interesting. Um, as we all probably know, March the 11th, 1964, the very first draft of what became the outline for Star Trek was written by Gene Roddenberry. And that's March 11th, 1964. 
I found this very interesting. On the 8th of November, that same year, only a few months later, the three-foot model of the Starship Enterprise began construction. Mm. This is, of course, one of many versions of the Enterprise. There's a mini model. There's the 11-foot model. But the three-foot model was the one that really sold Gene once they had that model in place. Because um, as you probably know, I've read so many things about whether or not the original Enterprise, as we saw it, was upside down or not. There's all these right. stories about how it was flipped. There's all these things about Buck Rogers and Forbidden Planet and so forth. But just a few months later, what is arguably the most iconic spaceship in science fiction history was finally created in its final form. It is still, to my knowledge, the only fictional spaceship to be displayed with any permanence in the Smithsonian mm. National Air and Space Museum. I thought the 11-foot one was the one that was... It is. Okay. Yeah, the 11-foot one is the right. one in, in there. The three-foot one is most famously known as the model that was sitting on top of Flint's desk in Requiem for Methuselah. <laughs> yeah. When Kirk is calling the Enterprise and telling him to go contact Starfleet, he pushes the button and a little model shows up on the top. That's the three-foot model. And the other thing I found was interesting, there's a lady, I think we're all aware of, Bijo, Bijo Trimble? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was, of course, instrumental in getting the shows brought back and saved and so forth. And she handled fan mail for them. And she had a quote that was very interesting. She said, as part of handling the fan mail, I only handled the fan mail for the actors. Had I, however, counted the fan mail for the Enterprise model, it would have by far had the most fan mail. writing <laughs> <laughs> a letter to the Enterprise model. In that wild? <laughs> I really like the way you blink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, Charles, you were just posted. It's not the same one, right? But they just smelled. No, no, the actual three-foot model. After that, it, went, it ended mm -hmm. up on Gene Roddenberry's desk, and it was on his desk for many years. And then when they were going into production on Star Trek The Motion Picture, he lent it to the effects company. I think it was Abel and Associates. Mm -hmm. And it was lost. He never got it back. And it's been lost since the mid-'70s. And then, like, two weeks ago, it turned up on eBay. Like, yeah. someone so – like, one of these, one of these people – I think they were posting under a pseudonym, but the story mm -hmm. is that they had bought a storage unit and opened the storage unit and they found this model in there. But fans jumped all over that and were comparing mm -hmm. photos and a little crack in the base to the crack in the base on Gene's desk. And I think it was yep. deemed to be authentic. And then it was disappeared off of eBay. It was only up for $1,000. And I'm really oh glad gosh. I didn't see it because I would have gotten in trouble in front of Dude, no kidding. <laughs> Oh, you I'd would have not have gotten in right trouble now. if you only spent a thousand dollars on that. But yes. oh, that's true because then you could sell it for right. a lot more. <laughs> I would not, though. No. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> but in a glass case. <laughs> if I have to choose between Veronica and the three-foot model. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We'll put Dude. it in a glass case and use it as a like a coffee table. But I so. think it's being returned to Rod Roddenberry, and I don't know okay, the details good. of the deal or anything like that. But I, um, you can't sell stolen things on eBay. That's right. You know, so I don't we'll know all the details it. of what went on, but it was a pretty exciting thing when all of a sudden that popped up and it was all over the fan groups of like, yep. what is going on? Like this thing so, disappeared 50 years ago. Right. So the same model. So that's that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. That, mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Luckily, someone at least didn't throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is right. Yeah, this is very true. And that's this or, week in Trek history. Or give it to their kids to put like decals on and stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, before well, we before right. we break, I just want to say that Matt Sweatman says so, happy Matt. happy one fortieth. That's a lot of candles to blow out. Oh. And he also says that we will always be his favorite Trek podcast. Thanks, Matt. Oh, Matt, Thank that's you. the sweetest. Thanks, yep. buddy. 
No, we love our listeners. If you enjoy the show, though, consider getting a, giving us a rating and sharing the podcast and helping us get the word out because, uh, you know, we, we love doing this show. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show, but don't go away because when we come back, we'll be celebrating our 140th episode by discussing the 140th episode of every Star Trek series that made it that far. So don't go away. Hi, everyone. It's Nathan, host of the 42Cast. Our second season is just underway, and it's never been a better time to check in on what we're doing. Whether it's talking about the latest movies from the MCU, watching the Arrowverse shows, talking about classics such as Star Trek and Doctor Who, playing 8-bit video games, or sharing celebrity interviews, the 42Cast has something for everyone. So give it a listen, and discover why it's the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. All right. Now, do we do a spoiler alert this week? No. I don't think no. we do a spoiler alert this week. Everything we're talking about is like 30 years old. Yeah, it was on Netflix <laughs> for a really long time, and it's on Paramount Plus now. Not long enough a time. Not long enough time. <laughs> right. And it's on DVDs and Blu-rays, and they're not like super expensive anymore. Yeah. So, you know. So, it's an... oh, Wayne, Wayne says, says happy, happy 140th. Wayne. Up, Wayne? Thank you, Thanks, Wayne. man. Appreciate yeah. that. I think we have some people like Elaine who haven't watched all the Deep Space Nine, but I think yeah. she did watch it. I think mm-hmm. she said that uh, Matt was talking to her about this is what's going on and what's going on and so forth. Yeah. Well, yeah. She, it turns out she watches them when we pick one, so we just need to pick every DS9 <laughs> episode. <laughs> Elaine will have to watch uh, them. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk about DS9. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, tonight we're talking about the 140th episode of every Star Trek series that made it that far. So, the list goes Face of the Enemy, Change of Heart, and Good Shepherd. Three. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's all good three stuff. of them. Uh, and it's a it's a good – I mean, we, it's been interesting as we've gone through. We we started this at our 20th episode. Yeah. Every 20 episodes, we do this. We had 40th episode, 60th episode, et cetera. And it's been interesting watching how the shows evolve over that period of time. It it is, and it's also interesting to see what we land on mm-hmm. on those like you know hallmark numbers. Where right. sometimes it's a, I, I can only remember one other time before this that it was like a, a really good batch of episodes. A lot mm-hmm. of times it's very, you know, <laughs> hit or miss. We'll say, <laughs> yeah, well, because it's random. It, it is random. The ep- like the series have different amount of episodes per season. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's not like we're picking season finales where they're putting their best effort forward. Right. We're, we're not picking sweeps week when they're, yeah. you know, it's just however <laughs> sweeps it falls. Week. But, you know, <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Sweeps week? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. But that's what's been fun about this is that it's given us the opportunity to talk about episodes that we might not have ever addressed mm-hmm. in any right. way, you know? And yeah. that's what's been so much fun about this. And now, of course, you know, as uh, Matt Sweatman pointed out on our Facebook page today, we have one more of these, number 160. Mm-hmm. After that, we have to come up with a new, a new gimmick. Yeah. yeah, we've got to think of another thing where we can do this kind of thing with. But we have forty weeks to come up with something. <laughs> we could just start sequentially numbering everything that comes after, um, or something weird. We'll, we'll, we'll brainstorm. Yeah, it. yeah, yep. with some. Yeah, and if fans, listeners, watchers have suggestions for us, feel free to pitch it to us. Yeah. In fact, you could do that by calling three oh. I don't remember the number. What is it? Three oh seven. Three eight seven. 
1701. 1701. Right. Oh, one. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's the Earth Check Hotline, which to date, Nobody has called except for me. Except for you. <laughs> so it's it's worth it to have that one call. Right. Uh, let's get to, in the face of the enemy. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Y'all better cool. go. Y'all better start because once I start, I'm not going <laughs> to. When I was a kid, I thought they cut her hair for this episode. <laughs> wow. All of a sudden she had short hair. Wow. I didn't know how wigs worked back then. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know nice. that age. Like, well, I don't think I did until I was 30. I mean, this is a big one for Troy because she didn't often get these kind of episodes. Right. Often when Troy got an episode, it was some man has come onto the ship and she has either a relationship or they're a fascination with her. And there's yep. some kind of mental thing going on. Yep. Um, she gets violated in some way. That's right. usually like, that's like a standard Troy episode. So yeah. the fact that all of a sudden she wakes up and she's a Romulan. Yeah. An appearance and she's on a spy mission. It's cool. And yeah, I mean, if I was Starfleet Intelligence, I'd be recruit. I mean, I don't think Starfleet Intelligence was behind this, but if I was Starfleet Intelligence, I'd be recruiting every freaking Beta Zed. Like, why Why are you not on a spy mission already? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, you know, um, there's a couple of things about this. First of all, because this is such a different setup and a different uh, kind of thing to give Troy, you kind of watch this episode, at least for the first time, without really knowing where this episode is going to go. Right. Like it throws you on the back foot immediately. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I love about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, very recently in one of our episodes, I talked about a thing that Terry Farrell once said. So I'm just going to bring it up because it's pertinent to this episode. Um, Terry Farrell, many years ago, back when DS9 was kind of newish, said in an interview that you would not have characters like Dax and Kira had it not been for Gates McFadden and Marina Sears constantly hounding the writers to give them more to do, to give them meteor roles, to give them important things to do in episodes, to give them action episodes. And this is exactly an example of what Terry Farrell is talking about. This Mm -hmm. is taking a character that you have, you know, kind of a preset parameter for and breaking that character out of those parameters and seeing what that character is going to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned the opening, the way it it sort of starts and she's already arrived. She wakes up and realizes she's a Romulan. It's very Twilight Mm Zone-ish. It really is. what's going on and it sort of just throws you into it which yeah. is a nice opening to the story yeah yeah veronica what do you think of this one um this is one i actually remember watching when i was younger um i mean i guess it's because it's kind of like oh because she's in a new face but it's obviously mm-hmm. still her um i mean i don't remember remember it but i remember having seen this yeah. when well, i was younger what did you think of it this time it was fantastic. Um, I really liked how she just knew how to take charge and how to not not that she knew how to address people, but she knew how to act and mm. come across as a Romulan and respond to some of those questions that were being thrown at her by the captain. Mm-hmm. I liked at the beginning when she's first on the bridge with the commander, she you can you can see that she's a little hesitant. Mm-hmm. She's not as forceful in her in the way she addresses the commander. And it it's, takes that full scene. I mean, it pretty much by the end of that scene, she, you know, knows what she's doing. But, you know, I'm assuming at that point she has read the people around her. She knows how to 
how how her react whatever she does they, she knows what they're going to do they, she kind of figures out how they're going to react and what she mm-hmm. needs to do to get them to react the way that she wants to and from that point on she is just a force mm. mm. what do you think it. Keith yeah I thought it was a good episode it's it's not surprisingly listed by Marina Sirtis as one of her favorite Star Trek episodes oh, yeah and, <laughs> and Charles I think you made that very interesting about the point about uh, how she was used because as I was scanning through to find the episode because I um, I'm just scanning through whatever to look for it. And I saw the masterpiece society, which is an episode where these genetically engineered people have this weird planet where you, you basically are genetically engineered to do one role. And there's a relationship or romantic interest between Troy and the leader. Also around that same time I came across was man of the people that yeah. episode where the dude basically uses Troy as a literal psychic dumping ground where he dumps all his negative feelings into her. Yeah. And so I agree with you. This was a meaty episode for Deanna Troy. And what I find very interesting about it is, of course, you, in real life, you know that this is closer to Marina Sirtis' real life uh, personality than Deanna was. But as she goes through the episode, when she basically gets to the point, and I've seen this a billion times, and she tells that dude, basically, I'm going to have you thrown in the space because <laughs> he's like, here's the plan. She's like, you don't have a plan. And she goes off. And I love it. He's like, okay. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> bottom line is she's like, look, I'm going to be tortured and killed. So it's either me or you, dude. So, and mm-hmm. I love the way, and, and she was literally just awakened. She was only a few minutes awake when she literally has to start um, posturing. She yeah. literally is like, mm-hmm. you know, I've had better food than this on a garbage scale, whatever she said. I mean, she yeah. instantly, I mean, that's that takes a lot to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love in this episode the the way they set up the the relationship between the military and the Tal Shiar. Mm-hmm. You know, that yes. there's that that Romulan distrust between them. Um, and they really use that conflict well here. And I think this is, I mean, I don't remember a time before this one that was really when that that was really a big focus point of an episode the way it is here. Right. Um, no, I agree. I agree. I think that's one of the strengths of this episode, mm-hmm. getting that little more insight into Romulan society and Romulan military structure um, is, is fascinating. Yeah. And also getting a good look at their art deco ships. <laughs> <laughs> also, what I think made this a good episode is um, Star Trek has been one of those shows that for its all whole existence has had really good guest stars. And the, the actress who plays the, the Romulan subcommander um, also played a Romulan subcommander in Contagion, the right. episode where the ship was infected by that alien probe and it was going to blow itself up. And she was uh, Marasta Yale in First con- Contact. She was the lady on the planet who had developed Warp Drive, where the people freaked out because they discovered Riker. She's a mm-hmm. really good actress. And I think that her being a Romulan commander, she has a presence about her. And I think that uh, Marina Sirtis really rises to the occasion, and, and she acts very well against her. And it just shows you what incredible range Marina Sirtis actually had as an actress. Yeah. The, I think one of the dumbest things that TNG ever did was not make Carolyn Seymour's Romulan commander a recurring character. Agreed. She should have been like Commander Tomalak had been in yes. the earlier seasons. She yes. should have been that toward the end of the of the series. Mm-hmm. And this is season six that we're talking about. So, right. you know, this is late in TNG's run for Troy to be getting this kind of role. And on that point, 
Wayne says, at this point, watching TNG, I just couldn't buy Troy as a Tal Shiar. Why is that, Wayne? That's very interesting. Elaborate, yeah. Wayne. Um, maybe too gentle? Not gentle. That's not the word, but whatever. Well, I think they did a good job. Kind of like Alan was saying earlier, she starts off very unsure of herself yeah. and has to sort of build her confidence and sort of develop herself into the role as she goes along. I think they did a good job of it's, it's not like she woke up and she just jumped right into it. Because you can mm-hmm. sort of watch her evolution over the course of the episode as she sort of figures out how to do it and how to navigate and gets her bearings. Um, but I think Marina Sirtis played it really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Keith mentioned that that very key scene toward the end, like two-thirds of the way in, where where she's basically tells Navek, look, buddy, we've been doing your plan this whole time, and look where it's got us. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it my way now, and if you don't go along with me, I'm going to tell Commander Seymour to yeet you into space. You got it? And he's like, <laughs> okay. And oh, I love that scene so yeah. much. And, okay, Wayne says... It just didn't seem like her nature. Mm-hmm. She okay. really freaked out. <laughs> okay. Now, I wish that they had done this like three seasons earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one thing the Star Trek shows were always good at was seeing something that works on the show and then building on it season after season. And I think yeah. if they, by, by season six, you don't really have time. You have one season left. Uh, so I wish someone had had this idea in season three. And right. then they could have developed this part of Troy for four more years, you know? Yeah. With yeah. her doing like espionage missions and stuff like that. Right. Amazing. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Picking back on what you're saying, Wayne, I, I, I agree. I understand what you're saying, how it doesn't seem like it's her personality, but I do think there's a very interesting thing about her because as not a telepath, but as an empath, she also probably knows the best way to act. So, mm-hmm. you know, she knows mm-hmm. if she had been too demure, she probably could have sensed because you got because basically I also thought this is a very interesting episode to give you some insight into Romulan society. You know, we always talk about how we hate monolithic cultures like every like every single Klingon who's ever lived is all about honor. Every single Romulan is all about subterfuge. Well, you can see here there's divisions in this world because she can't stand intelligence, the, the commander. <laughs> yeah. And they, she even talks about what they did to her father. So I love something like that. So it's mm-hmm. like not every Romulan is all about being sneaky and, and subterfuge. So I think she read the room, as it were, literally, to help craft the kind of person she became. Yeah. One of one of the things that I sort of noticed this time around, that I've heard every time I've watched this, but it really kind of stuck out to me this time, and I don't know if this is a new thing or not. I'm not sure where um, the defector dude, the guy who had been, you know, in Romulan society, whatever, he comes back and he's like, the thing that he that had drawn him to Romulan culture is that devotion to um, morality. Like mm. Romulans have a very, very strict code of what is right and wrong. And you know what you get when you're with a Romulan, basically. Is that is that something that we've really seen said that way before? No, because I can't remember if, if we'd gotten that in any earlier like TNG episodes. I don't remember if we we got that from Romulans before, but I yeah. I know that like in Balance of Terror, yeah, the Romulans were the honorable ones. You know, like Mark Linder yeah. was a very honorable character, right? Um, that was before that attribute got moved over to Klingons. But um, but no, I think it's an interesting development. I I, mm-hmm. I, I, I like I like the peak we got into Romulan society through this episode, right? Yeah, I think 
Uh, I think pick up what you're saying. I think I've, I I made a note of that too because it has such real life parallels. Um, mm-hmm. Real quick, I'm, I do a lot of personal stuff. I do real quick personal. I was raised by a preacher. Obviously, my parents are religious, not extremely so, but religious. And I have I still be, I'm a believer, but I have different views. Let's just say, and I have sometimes commented that I miss it. I miss the pure faith that my mom and dad had. Well, there was no doubt there was a God and there was hell and heaven and there was a devil. And that was kind of in the story. And what she said about what, what the, they, he said about the Roman society, he was basically saying the world is black and white and Romulus. There's this and that there's good and bad. There's us and them. There's no shades of gray. And, you know, as we know, in our real world right now, we're dealing with that. It sucks for sometimes when you got to look at the world in shades of gray. It mm-hmm. sure would be easier if you could just hate this group and love this group. But that's just not the way the world works. I think he he got fed up with that. I was also going to point out that maybe he came back because he'd been gone for 20 years. He looked like his middle age. He was only an ensign. So maybe maybe he didn't have any upper mobility. Yeah, you're talking about the defector guy? Yeah, the defector. Yeah, Yeah. he's an ensign. I'm like, dude, what happened? Every time I've watched this episode, I have forgotten that he's in this episode. Me too. Yes. (laughs) Me too. He's not a very good actor. No, no. I made a note, like, you know how you do the thing where you're trying to show that you're trying to remember something? Right. And he would go, uh, Ambassador Spock said. And then at one point, he looks away like he has a dredge up. He goes, he says it's very important. Are you kidding me? You it's couldn't jo- remember that? It's what Joey from Friends called smell the fart acting. <laughs> oh, that <what> it is? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and one last thing, even though I like, I really like the episode, um, at the end, I do have to say Picard said, this is great. Now we have this great path for, you know, people. I'm like, dude, I don't think you've created a good underground railroad. I, I mean, I just going to say exactly the same thing. I'm not yeah. sure how this creates a method to get more defectors out. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the 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 mercenary they hired to to do the, the cargo thing was was dirty, so they killed him. Yeah. Um, the Tal Shiar is going to be pissed off because somebody killed one of their operatives and and impersonated yeah. her. The captain's yeah. going to be out for blood. I don't think the commander. I don't think this no. is going to work. <laughs> no, you have alerted too many people to what you're doing to make this a viable um, mm-hmm. option in the future. Yes, Matt Sweatman comments on Troy's abilities and says that she would be able to instantly sense if her subterfuge was working and yeah. adjust to it on the fly. Exactly. Right. right. Um, so I want, I just want to say that this is one of my favorite next generation episodes of all. And part of that is because it took a character that I had loved from the first episode. Nobody liked Troy. I was the only one who liked Troy <laughs> in Encounter at Farpoint. And I'm just going to say she was not that well written. She wasn't that great. But I'm drawn to, as I've said before, drawn to characters with mental abilities. And I'm even more drawn to characters who have natural inhibitors on their mental abilities. So I was like ready made for being a Troy fan. <laughs> and in it, you know, they gave her things to do here and there. But this is like the, you know, this was payoff. This was like me saying, you know what? Thank you for giving, for throwing a bone to those of us who loved Troy from the very beginning and believed in the character when nobody else did. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, in the we talked about in the later episodes of the series, sometimes they give the characters who hadn't gotten a lot of media roles to do something to do. And sometimes that didn't pay off because it's almost like, oh, well, let's give them a role. Because I, I looked in the episode after this is a classic tapestry. 
with mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart. Of course, that's great. But the episode before this the, was to give LeVar Burton something to do. It was the episode Aquiel. Mm. Yeah. So eh, yeah. not a good episode. So she Aquiel's got a okay. good, yeah, she got a good character exploration episode yeah. late mm-hmm. in the series. I mean, but you know, he had had ones before that were good. Yeah. Like yeah. speaking of defecting, the defector was a good one, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, and and he's he's had a number, you know, and of mm-hmm. course then there was all that terrible, you know, Leah Brom nonsense. But <laughs> you know, but every character gets a variable amount of focus episodes. And the thing that is kind of disappointing about a series like this ending and moving to the big screen is that you never get a Troy episode again. You never right. get a you know a Beverly Crusher episode or anything like that. So it's always gonna be the main three, you know that's going to be the focus of the film and whoever the big bad is. So, yeah. you know, you have to go back and enjoy these kind of episodes. Agreed. Because until the series Picard season three, yeah. they didn't get done right because in the movies, they made jokes about their boobs and Troy got violated. So yeah, yeah, yeah. they didn't get too well by them in the movies. No. Right. And, right. And, and the one time she did get something good to do, it was getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. And then get blamed for crashing the ship unfairly. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me started on that. (laughs) All right. Well, we're at at past half an hour, so we need to move on to the next I know. Which is change of heart. Yeah. Which I love. It's a good one. Yeah. It's because it's it's like right in the middle of the Dominion War storyline. Yeah. Troy and War. I'm not Troy. (laughs) Troy and Troy. Troy and War. (laughs) Troy and War is so loud. Well, there was a Troy and War. It's Dax and Worf, and uh-huh. I love Dax and Worf. Yes. Um, yes. But watching it again, and I I didn't remember how many scenes in this episode are just like characters talking about nonsense that doesn't have anything to do with like plot or anything yeah. like that. I usually think of like season six DS9 as being a big, like it's like we're into the mm-hmm. serialization, you mm-hmm. know, the Dominion War. But I love that they just have whole scenes of people who are just, they're just talking about their life. You, right. know, you get a whole subplot with, you know, O'Brien wants to beat Quark at Dabo, <laughs> you know, but I, I think that's one of the, one Tonga. of the reasons. Tonga. Oh, was it Tonga? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, whatever. One of those made up games. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I love that they, they just devote whole scenes to that sort of thing, because I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that like the characters on DS nine are so rich is because you can just have a scene with people just talking about fishing or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. just talk about whatever is like things that don't have anything to do with the plot. They're just being people. Right. Right. Indeed. Yeah. Agreed. I will say that I, I did not going into this. I did not remember that there was a B plot and, or what it was. Mm-hmm. And I just, Oh my God, it's a, just bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It just does not interest me at all. Right. I want to get on with the dominion war and I don't really give a crap about, you know, beating cork at poker or whatever it is. And yeah. I, I just thought that was so weak. What I found interesting about this episode is that you were saying, Charles, it's a great episode. I found very interesting about it is, um, I think we may have talked about this before, is when Michael Dorn, of course, is introduced to the show, they didn't know for sure exactly what they were going to do with him. And when he was first meeting Nana Visitor and Terry Farrell, it was the episode where uh, Dax had convinced Kira to go do some stupid medieval hollow, hollow sweet thing. And they were right. coming out with medieval dress on. And Worf literally looks at her and says, nice hat or something like that. That was all it was. And Ira Stephen Bear and company literally looking at that one scene said, hey, 
-hmm. There could be something between those two. It was not planned or anything like that. And with the unfortunate exception of that episode that he who is without sin, that horrible Risa episode, what I like about Dax and Worf, Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn together is that they made each other better. Those characters Mm -hmm. built each other better and better. Um, It showed her strength that we already knew she had Klingon history because of her former host. Um, She could poke at Worf like nobody because he's way too serious and they worked. And Mm -hmm. I loved it. On that point, Worf and Troy never made any sense to me. No, no, (laughs) never made any damn sense to me. But when you talk about Worf and Dax, that absolutely makes sense because Mm -hmm. she understands Klingon nature and Klingon culture. And she is not, you know, she is not an empathic, you know, violet. She is a fighter and she just gets his world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that they make such a great couple. Um, Matt points out that the B plot was a roundabout way to get Quark and Bashir to talk about their feelings about Jadzia. Yes, no. it was. And yeah, I still don't I, think I, it's any good. And I could care less. The whole, yeah. I, I, I think those kind of plots nowadays wouldn't be yeah. quite like, I could care less about all their sick puppy love for Jadzia for uh, her. <laughs> But here's the thing, the whole thing that, I mean, Quark is only doing it to fleece, you know, Bashir out of his Latinum or whatever. (laughs) But but the thing is, the thing, the argument that he poses that gets Bashir is that whole thing about saying, we we let her get away. You didn't let her get away. She was never yours. No. No. She went to the person, she had zero interest in either one of you, and she went to the person that she wanted to go to. Absolutely. You Quark. Yeah. (laughs) The the part about that I do like, though, is that Quark is savvy enough that he's he's playing this game with a genetically engineered guy who should be able to beat him. Yes. Yes. But but he finds his weakness and knows how to beat him. And it's not by being better at math and it's not by being better at strategy. It's by, you know, finding his weaknesses and exploiting it during the game. And and that's a a great use of being a Ferengi. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. is. You're absolutely right. Even B plots that I don't enjoy, there's always a good (laughs) angle to it. And it ties back in with that sort of season one Bashir. That yeah, forgets about by this point in the show. <laughs> I just don't yeah. need to tie back to that. Though. No, I know, I know, but I mean, I I think it just makes him feel like he's not a rebooted character. Like he's still the same guy. Yeah. He's just changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things I did like about the episode was we talk about how you know, Deep Space Nine was one of the first shows to really bring in just continual plots. I love the way they tied in the whole legend about how the Klingons killed their gods. And then they talked about how the hearts, you know, that's the whole point when you, when a Klingons mate, their hearts beat as one. And so Rourke hears the heart when he's thinking about leaving Dax there. And here's the thing. None of us, I don't think any of us would have left our partners there. Right. In that situation. And this is why, as much as I love the episode, every single time I watch it, when Cisco is dressing Worf down at the end, mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you're the fool who put a man in his love, a woman in her love on the same freaking mission where you knew one of them might have to let the other one die. I blame Cisco for this. Well, it was that, it that's was Kira that did it. It was, was it Kira, Kira, it. Kira who made the decision. Yeah. Kira made it. And 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 obviously you never saw her again in the episode. See, she like threw the two of them to the wolves and then hit the road or something. I don't know. <laughs> I do like that scene though with Cisco because it, you, first oh, you have as your captain. Yeah. This is what you should have done. This is what you did mm-hmm. wrong. This is going to be repercussions. Yeah. As a man. Yeah. I've done the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Who wouldn't? Yep. Right. 
And you know what? It's so interesting. You have an entire episode that is basically Cisco-less. He comes on at the end for about two minutes and he anchors that whole episode. Mm-hmm. He is such a force of gravity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, he, he just blows me away every time yeah. I watch him. We've talked about this before, but I think I mean, DS9 is probably the show that has the captain out of the storyline yeah. more often than any other show. Yeah. Absolutely. But you don't feel it. No. Because Absolutely. when he's there, it, he, they make it count. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, that's a good point because he's real good because in the episode when, um, spoilers slightly, the episode where they have a battle with the Klingon fleet and Worf is accused of killing, uh, destroying mm-hmm. a Klingon ship, uh, at the end of that episode, Cisco dresses him down again. So he's real good for coming in there and giving one of those speeches. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he's good at it. Matt wonders, what bothers me about this is that now they have a policy to not let lovers together on this. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Right. I, I agree. Like, I, I feel that like was... that was a 20th century invention that they should have remembered. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. completely agree, Matt, because that makes no sense. Heck, in TNG, they did an episode that went the other way when Picard fell in love with Neela Darren. She left the whole ship because she thought they couldn't work on the whole ship together, which I thought was was sad. But yeah. at least they went on away missions like this together. Right. Yeah. My my workplace has rules in place about yep. people who are in relationships. Apparently, yeah. they need a Starfleet HR, which they clearly don't have. No, there's no clearly. HR. <laughs> I, I want to make one last observation, and that is, and this is something that I've noticed before, but this is like the first opportunity to have mentioned it on the show. Terry Farrell. I mean, first of all, I think she's an amazing actress. Second, she is remarkable at sick and injured acting. Mm. Like you, a lot of times can see totally through, like you don't ever believe that someone is, but she sells it. Like Mm -hmm. you honestly believe that she got shot and she is bleeding out because she it's like it happened to her at some point in her life. And so she knows how to channel that in her mm. performance, <laughs> but my God, is she good? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they gave that to her a lot. Yeah. They did. <laughs> so either she had a lot of practice at it <laughs> by this point, but no, she yeah. was, I, you know, like in, um, rocks and shoals, mm-hmm. she, same thing. They, they, there was a couple of other ones. She's just, maybe that's why they kept doing it. Yeah. Like, probably. She's really good at injured yeah. acting. Let's just let's just let's beat just her to beat her all up. the hell all the yeah. time. <laughs> Dax can take it. And they right. make her really pale every time. Like she always, they, yeah, yeah, it works. I, I really love her back and forth with the wharf in this episode. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, with the humor and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It, it, it just works really well. It really does. Yeah, Excellent episode. episode. All Excellent. Right, we'll move on to Good Shepherd. Yeah, sure. I didn't have a strong memory of this one. I know I've seen it before. Mm-hmm. But this is like I don't. When you get deep into Voyager, it, I mean, like, these little episodes like this, I, I haven't seen that many times over the years. Yeah, so me I, neither. I, I enjoyed this one. I thought yeah, it was definitely. And I even like little scenes. Like I, I mean, same kind of thing I was talking about with the with the DS Nine scene, except for these aren't recurring characters. But I like the scene of just two Starfleet officers and ones like calling each other in the middle of the night. Yeah, it yeah. Just, <laughs> it just makes them feel like people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Absolutely. was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I wrote in my notes, this was another Lower Decks kind of episode. Yeah. That's exactly that's what, what we're, ta- well. we're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Totally. Yeah. And I enjoyed this one, too. But one of the notes, because I've, I've seen this episode several times. I think I saw it, even, in fact, as little as a year ago. Mm-hmm. One of the notes I put in there again was, again, I blame the commanders and not the people. You've got a, you've got a relatively small ship. 
way away in another part of the galaxy. Yeah. And I don't care what anybody, Chakotay was literally like, well, every time we try to get them to do something, they don't really want to do it. Like, seriously, <laughs> you're, you're 60, 70,000 light years from Earth or 35, whatever the heck they are at that time. And a ship that small, every single crew member, every single crew member is critical. Yeah, I mean, yeah. critical. You can't be saying, well, he's a kind of a slacker, so I can't get him. To- <laughs> are you kidding me? Seriously? You, you got a dude who literally just spends all his time staring at the stars? Uh, yeah. I blame Chakotay and Janeway for that. Yeah. But the flip side of that is, and this is something that I've thought about before, and I don't think they ever really addressed it in an episode outside of this one and maybe another one, but they never like kind of dealt with it on an ongoing way is that what do you do with these kind of characters? I mean, you can Mm -hmm. kick them out of Starfleet or whatever, but they're still on your ship. They still walk the hallways and they're still going to go to, you know, Neelix's, you know, restaurant or whatever it is. So it's interesting to, to kind of watch, it would have been nice to see this develop a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. but at yeah. the same time, I, I really enjoyed, you know, the three, the, the misfits kind mm-hmm. of, I love that. And I'm just going to say, I don't go back to Voyager that often, but every time I do, and especially this is a good one for this. Every time I do, I remember, and not that I ever really forget this, but it reminds me how much I absolutely love Janeway. Mm-hmm. God, she's a great character and Mulgrew is just a phenomenal actress. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I wrote in my notes that, that, that Kate Mulgrew sells her role, no matter what that role is, she makes it work. Uh, She commits 800% every scene that she's in. I also did write in my notes with that one, but the cosmologist, I was like, I'm trying to imagine him. She is a really patient captain. I'm trying to see him Talking like that to Cisco yeah. or, <laughs> or Kirk, his ass would have been snapped down because he was getting, after a while, I was like, he was getting really disrespectful. To he Jane was getting Green. pretty yeah. damn sassy. And I yes. was like, I was about to jump to her defense. I was like, yeah. buddy, yeah. you better back you're, down. You're right. She's patient because Cisco's known for his dress downs <laughs> and yes. he, he would have cut this guy in half. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I like that these folks it. all sucked in different ways. Yeah. Like the, the one yeah. guy's a jerk. Mm-hmm. And the other guy's a hypochondriac and the girl mm-hmm. just, she felt like she just didn't have the capacity to be in Starfleet. Like she got through right. by the skin of her teeth and she right. felt like right. because she was Bajoran, they sort of felt bad and, and passed her through, mm-hmm. but that she wasn't up to it. And what do you do now? You're on a starship in the middle of nowhere and you feel yeah. like you don't, you just don't have it. You know, like that's right. That's tough. That's yeah. so interesting. What a great character angle that would have been to follow through on. It's well, some of the main yeah. characters. <laughs> and one of the things Chakotay said, which is again why I blame maybe Janeway. Well, Chakotay's first officer, he's more in charge. But I blame Chakotay yeah. more than Janeway. But he did make a good point uh, based on like what you were saying, Alan, about seeing the backstory. He made a very good point. He said, if we were in normal Federation space or whatever. Yeah. People like this would have been reassigned by now. Yes. Maybe they're not suited for deep space missions. Maybe they're not suited for dangerous missions, but they would have been on a star base at Starfleet headquarters. Right. Out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But out there, what do you do with them? Also, exactly. I, I thought there was something that she was very interesting that this, this she said when she was talking to Jane Wiggs. Um, I, I work in IT and I used to work at a company called Citrix, which is a virtualization company. It was a really tough job. And I used to, that company made you train all the time. And I used to sit next to a guy. We'd take a training class that'd be a week long. And they would introduce a new concept to us. And I hate these kind of classes, but it's the kind of training class where they lecture you and then they make you take a little test to see if you 
Yeah. This guy would get it every single time. <laughs> and I was like, dude, how do you do that? I'm known for being a hard worker, but I would do flashcards and stuff. I would go over the same stuff. One, yeah. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. And then people are like, my God, Keith, you really are good at this. I'm like, if you knew yeah. how much. And then I love what she told Janeway. She's like, I have to study harder. And she thinks that everybody in Starfleet is like the super genius who just right. gets it. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. And yeah. I love that. What all I really right. love is that Janeway handpicked her entire crew. So unless they yes. were Maquis, which none of these people <laughs> were, then she selected them for a reason. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's, it's a tough situation too. Like you said, you're in, you're 70,000 light years away right. and you can't replace your employees. Right. You know, like yeah. you, there, there are no other applicants. Right. <laughs> you know, we've got X number of people and every time we lose one, we have X minus one. That's right. You know, so yeah. it's like, what do you do? Okay, let me get a few comments here All right. because some of this pertains to what we're talking about. Um, Wayne says Wayne. fraternization is a serious deal in the military. Even married couples have to serve under different co- chain of command if they are stationed on the same base. Good point, Wayne. So as we were saying earlier, they were like, hey, here's a new idea, new policy. <laughs> right. Right. He also says it's up to the leadership to find a way to motivate an individual to work with the team no matter what. Yeah, and I think that that's what leadership, not the individual. And for those who don't remember, uh, Wayne is a Marine and I have learned Wayne that if you're no longer in the service, you're a Marine. So I I'm joking with you, Wayne. I know not to say you're a former Marine. Wayne's a Marine. So he knows what he's talking about. (laughs) military. And then he says, you can't dump someone because they are shirking their duties. Mm -hmm. Amen. I mean, you could. Captain Ransom probably would have. (laughs) You shouldn't. He would just fed them to the monsters. Yeah. I mean, you'll get to the point where you don't have enough people. Mm -hmm. At some point, you just need warm bodies. And and that's something that they would have to adjust to in the Delta Quadrant. I'd love to have seen more of that on the show, is that we have to adjust our expectations as well. Because Mm -hmm. you cannot reassign this person and replace them with a better candidate. There are no other candidates coming. Exactly. I hate to say this. I never thought I'd go here. But can you imagine if this had been Jellicoe's ship out there? (laughs) (laughs) but there's no way (laughs) chuck what you're talking about though you know one of the things that we say about voyager that they did not do is that we should have seen a depletion of resources which we they kind of paid lip service to but (laughs) they should have taken damage and not been able to repair it they should have Mm -hmm. run out of things that they can't replace and that should have been the case with the crew also we should have seen crew depletions and it have an effect on the way the ship performs over the course of seven seasons. And it was just in that sense, it was just a standard Star Trek, you know, we're out on a starship kind of show when it shouldn't have been. Right. It should have been a ship that was set at sea that has no contact with land. If it runs out of, um, of, of its rations, what are you going to do? Kill, you know, go fishing and kill a shark. Maybe. But you have to, you, they, they paid lip service to that stuff, but we never got the angle on Voyager that we should have gotten. And it, it always seemed to go the way that you, like, it always ends up like Janeway's right. The Starfleet ideal is right. Yes. Yeah. You know I mean, yeah. yes. Every organization, you've got that person who can't show up on time, who just will not be there on time, no matter what you do. And Absolutely. if you have, if you have four other candidates, maybe you get rid of that person. <laughs> Veronica's um, holding their hand up. But if you have zero <laughs> candidates and you have to get the work done, 
maybe you have to adjust your expectations, you know? So that, that's something I would love to have seen more of yeah. Janeway having to deal with as, as a leader yeah, that yeah. there's no Starfleet Academy pumping out candidates. Right. You know, this yeah. Is what I, this is what I've got to work with. I agree. And again, I, I blame, I blame Janeway and Chakotay for that because I was thinking about the cosmology guy, as you guys are saying, okay, he said, which is weird. He's like, I don't believe in practical applications. I only, I only believe in theory. Well, what did mm-hmm. we have on uh, Voyager? We had, we had astrometrics with seven of nine running it like a tyrant. Well, this yeah. dude's all about cosmology. So you can find a way to meld his interests and his abilities with what the ship needs, which is all kinds of astrogation. Um, one of the jokes about Voyager is they're always stopping to investigate some stellar phenomenon. I mean, that's that's even Chakotay used to say that. Well, put yeah. him in charge of that. You got to find something for that for people like that to yeah. do. Um, which I thought was interesting. And okay. I would have loved to have seen a, a recurring crew member who genuinely wasn't good enough and Thank shouldn't yes. have been there. Thank you. Yes. But yes. this is the person we've got. Exactly. Oh, we have to rely on this person because there's nobody else. Yeah. Everybody else is doing something. Right. Okay. Yeah. Comments. Matt Sweatman says, I don't think Janeway was harsh enough when he shot that something. Yeah. I kept looking to see if the alien, alien. was actually alien. the alien. Yeah, he oh, shot the alien. That dark matter. I yes. Kept, I kept thinking, I've seen this episode very recently, but I kept thinking they were going to say something like the alien phased back into some other dimension. No, he straight up murdered that alien. Yeah, he murdered yeah. somebody. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah that is, I didn't think about that. but mm-hmm. Okay, Matt says, all, all the Bajoran crewmen needed was a little confidence. Otherwise, she wasn't that big of a misfit. No, agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. And Keith is gone for some reason. <laughs> He'll be back. Um, Elaine says I took it as the three crewmen were neurodivergent which is not a bad thing at all it's just their work style is going to be completely different from most every everybody else but they have a lot to offer in their own way yes agree yeah totally. I'm not sure what jerk off down mm-hmm. in the bay studying stars had had to yeah. offer because you don't need that on the <laughs> ship right um so i mean that i would but i mean again i'd love to see these three as recurring characters where we figure out what they have to offer but that's why i agree that's what i was saying they could have put him in astrogation because he's all about cosmology they could help they could have they could have pressed him into working on the warp field because he's all about like space and stuff like this Mm-hmm. So there was some other stuff they could have done. I'd have loved to see him working side by side with Seven of Nine. Yeah, they would be. Yeah, they would be like pulling each other's eyes out. That'd been awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would been great. Yeah, astrogation, ast- astrometrics. I said astrogation, astrometrics. Yeah, that's <laughs> what he's Seven of Nine deal with someone who's more anal and abrasive than she is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. But- and wait, okay, sorry. Final comment. Matt says to Alan's point, the ship should have been very different after seven years. In Ahsoka, we saw an Imperial Star Destroyer that was in another galaxy, and boy, the ship and the stormtroopers' armor looked like it had been through hell. Mm-hmm. And we had that. We got that, that two-part episode, Year of Hell. Mm-hmm. That's what we should have gotten over the Absolutely. course of seven seasons Absolutely. of Voyager. Yeah, I mean, ideally, Voyager would get back at the end of the show. And they can't just reassimilate into Starfleet. Yeah. No, no, it's, you know, it's, they've become yes. too different. But yes. I mean, as it is, you can see all of them just getting reassigned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, going. Voyager should look more like the Equinox when it got back. Yeah. But less yeah. murdery. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, yes. But you know, I, I think what happens is we talk about this before. It's kind of like when you talk about how Riker should never have been a first officer that many years. He wouldn't oh, have been yeah. in real life. He wouldn't have been given the choice in real to life. the Dominion War, they had yes. all these people. Every one of them should have been commanding a ship. Yes. <laughs> 
and, and I think what you get is you get a victim of how they want to write the show because um, I, I keep this running list of Star Trek plots that kind of sort of don't make sense. I'd love to do a show about it one day. Okay. And one of the things you got to do something next week. So yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that I did from the first time I saw this episode and to the end, it bothered me. Tom Paris is the single best pilot on the, sh- on the ship and it possibly in Starfleet. He is also the part-time assistant to the doctor. Yeah, there is a re- there's a use for Maquis or whatever all the time. And, and no, no real spoilers. But in the series finale, when they're in a life or death battle, Tom literally has to run down to sickbay to assist the doctor. Yeah. There is a position that was open. And remember at one point, how many different jobs did Neelix appoint himself? Yeah. Cook, podcaster. Uh, he started <laughs> training for security ambassador. I mean, yep. again, as Wayne was saying, you would you would find roles for these people, and you, you may you not would. want it, but just yeah. like, dude, sorry, you got it. End of story. E- everybody on should be the doctor's assistant. I was going to say the Bajoran woman should be the doctor's assistant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everybody in in a situation like that in a starship should be cross trained with some other area, and when you're Absolutely. stranded with no other contact, you know, of your support that that becomes even more crucial. So I think that there should have been a way to integrate these people somewhere. Right. The new You've got to be able to find something, even if it's helping Neelix cook dinner, you know, right. just no, seriously. Yes. I was gonna say the yes. new battles are glad to get a, a good job of that because everyone was sort of right. just thrust into the roles. And yeah. There was this, there was a bit where they were trapped on a planet and the one girl, they're like, they're about to be in a, like a life and death struggle with the Cylons. And the one girl's like, I just signed up to pay for dental school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and there's truth to that. <laughs> so that means there's a whole group of people down there, also including now those Equinox people who just don't seem to do anything. Remember the three people who survived oh, yeah, yeah, Equinox? Yeah. Yeah. And there's always been like, what happened to those folks? Yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah, people just disappear into the bowels of Voyager. And there's only 150 <laughs> people on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was All three right. good episodes this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was, that was a lot of fun. One. Absolutely. Yeah, and like like you said, we only have one more of these left before mm-hmm. we run out. I did peek ahead. Yeah. And I know the DS9 one is a good one. Okay. I did too, but I don't remember what. It, it was a couple of months ago that I did. Yeah, that I yeah no. It's it's Paper Moon. Oh, that's right. Oh, Ooh, that's, so that's right. That's going to be, no matter what else happens, it's that's going to be a good one to go out. Cool. Um, yeah. Baby. Wow. That's yeah. a heavy one. That's yeah, holy cow. Good. So yeah, and until until I think discoveries will be the next next thing up, and we'll have live Star Trek again to talk about. Until then, we're gonna be talking about some legacy Star Trek topics. So you know, throw some ideas in our discussion group if you have something you'd like to see us discuss, because yeah. we'd love to hear some great ideas, and we've got yep. some ideas of our own cooking that mm-hmm. you know we're gonna keep it fun and we're gonna try to bring some you know guests on and friends on and things like that over the course of the season. So you know, stay tuned because we've got some fun stuff coming up. Okay, two last comments. Okay. Wayne says, in the submarine service, the crew are required to know several disciplines on board. Absolutely. I bet. And Matt Swetman says, oh, any DS9 one is going to be a good one. Mostly true. Alamorain. Yeah. That's a good one. I'm going to argue for that. (laughs) Uh Keith mentioned that Risa one earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That's my least favorite DS9. Agreed. Because even in the early DS9s, like at least it was early, but by season four, they knew better. (laughs) You know, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) You're supposed to know what you're doing by this point. Exactly right. You you just made trials and tribulations. You're you're better than this. (laughs) We just got other show topics, shows we hate. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we can do that. Yes. All right. Alan, where can people find more of you? Okay. 
how about you go to Cosmic Creative, K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. And from there, you can jump on to any of my other podcasts like Modern Musicology, where we have just released an episode this past week reviewing the new Beatles song, Now and Then. We had a full hour discussion just on one song. It was great. And our guest for that was Ira Elliott, the drummer from the band Not A Surf. And we've got a, an episode coming up this coming week all about the great producers. So go check it out. How about you, Keith? Uh, you can find me on X and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And Veronica, there's a big birthday coming up. Yes. Is there? It's, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah. Jesus's birthday. Yep. Is coming up. Yep. And the devil has decided that Jesus needs a birthday party. Yep. And so the devil is throwing Jesus a birthday party and we've been booked. So <laughs> what is this craziness what? you're so talking come about? come to Jesus's birthday with strippers at the, at the, at the Red oh Light my Cafe. Goodness. Burlesque and strippers and puppets. And yeah, we've never been booked by the devil before. So it's exciting for us. <laughs> yeah. You so, didn't hear me say my dad was a preacher, right? <laughs> December the 9th at the Red Light Cafe. Now, if you're a very religious person, maybe don't come. Yep. But <laughs> December the 9th at the Red Light Cafe will be at the Sinful Variety Show, and it is called Jesus's Birthday with Strippers. And oh, wow. We'll be performing uh, there. It is gonna be, it's going to be a fun night. Mm -hmm. So, yep. you know. I, okay, so go ahead with the rest of your, because I got to throw a thing in. And where else can people find Spronka? Feltnerdy.com. Yeah. And? Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. And that's right. And we just have recently released an episode. We went to the record release party for Mickey Dolan's new EP, uh, Dolan Sings R.E.M. And it was fantastic. We did a recap episode plus review of the EP. The The event was phenomenal. There was like 500 people there. R.E.M. came. Wow. Um, we had a crazy time. So check out that episode. But also next week we'll have a bonus episode. This is our first monkeying around bonus episode where we're not talking about the monkeys. We're talking about some of the, the top current artists in the world, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. So <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> what decade are we living in? Exactly right. So we couldn't let that go by. So we've got our Beatles and the Rolling Stones episode where we're talking about now and then and Hackney Diamonds, and that Ooh. should be out next week. So Check that out. And then following that, at the end of November, we've got a special head soundtrack discussion coming out, which Alan was kind enough to join us for. So yes. we've got a, a several great monkeying around episodes coming out. So give them a listen. killer killer. I should mention also that in addition to podcasting and writing books and all that kind of dumb stuff, I'm also in a band. Oh. And if you live in the Atlanta area and you might happen to be going to a convention in the, uh, later this month called I think it's like a week away called Conjuration. My band is going to be performing. My band is called Hardisons. We are a heart tribute band and you can come to Conjuration and see us perform. Awesome. Awesome. There you go. Are y'all going to be at Conjuration? No. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. All right, Veronica. Do you have a closing for us this week? I want to be pampered. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right, folks, join us next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We go live on YouTube and Facebook. And if you missed that, you can uh, subscribe to the Earth Station Trek on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us. Or you can watch the replay on YouTube. And subscribe there, too. Subscribe, like mm. it, you know. All the things. That's right. We'll All those next YouTube time. things. <laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody. Take care, y'all. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. 
You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.